0: Forever
1: Dog They write, they talk, and talk about what they write Tune in to tune or whenever the time is right It's the writer's panel with Matt Blacker And it's starting now Oh yeah Um, here we are Here we are Jennifer Caden <laughs> Robinson is back Thank you for coming back to talk about Someone Great
0: Of course, this I is- asked for this <laughs>
1: You're always welcome. The door is always (laughs) open. Um, I feel like we're going to do like a uh, seven up with you with just like every time you have a project, we'll have you on and we'll talk about it for 40 years.
0: Yes. Great. (laughs) Great. It's just going to be like a revolt. You're just going to see me throughout my whole career. And then you'll interview my corpse one day. Exactly. Yeah, it'll be great.
1: Absolutely. Um, This movie, Someone Great, it's on Netflix right now, uh, premiered earlier this year. It's so good. I watched it again this week with my wife, who was like, that was perfect. That was beautiful. That was not about the man. <laughs> that was... She, the one thing she said, and she is like a regular person. She's not in this industry, and it's hard to get her to watch a movie. Um, and she said, it, it started and ended in the perfect places. Thank you. And I thought that was really interesting, and it was something I wanted to talk about as sort of grappling with telling this story. Um, It's clearly a a emotionally true story. Um, But how did you start to like, put together the way to tell this story? It's clear you knew what you wanted to say. But how to say it becomes a big question.
0: For sure. I knew it always was going to start with the breakup because that was always going to be To me, it was never about a romantic comedy about the relationship. It was about the aftermath. And it was about, you know, seeing them, seeing their relationship through the lens of this breakup and through, you know, her kind of like eyes looking back at all the things that made them great and all the things that, you know, brought them to this point. Um, But the first, very first iteration when I was like in my early 20s when I thought about this was her talking to a bartender. Mm Mm-hmm was like
1: <laughs> sure.
0: her just kind of having – it was very small and it was not a movie. And it was just her kind of stumbling into a bar sad after being broken up with and like retelling the story of this relationship to a bartender. Um, and then when I went in and spoke with Dan Mignante at FICO – i told him about this and i was like i want to do a romantic comedy that's drunk history meets 500 days of summer that was my pitch <laughs> that's was funny like, i
1: have not heard you say that yeah <laughs> so like that. that was
0: like the way that i explained it i was like so it's a non-linear love story mm-hmm. uh and i want her to be a fucking mess <laughs> uh retelling kind of like unreliable narrator and seeing everything through her lens hmm. And What was, let
1: me, I'm going to interrupt yeah. you a bunch because I'm so curious about like the the nascent stages of this kind of story because it feels like it's so open, right? There are so many versions of this you can do. In that version that you sort of, it sounds like loosely talked about, knowing here's kind of what I want to do, here's the story I want to tell. What was the tone of that?
0: The tone of the comedy that I was
1: of Yeah, of, of that kind of comedy. I think the tone
0: of the movie. And it's, it's Interesting. I have... Oh, <laughs> I tend to pitch things, you know, if you if you pitch when I pitch Sweet Vicious, people are like, wow, that's very dark. And I'm like, no, it's a comedy. So I, you know, I tend to lean and gravitate towards finding these stories that on paper sound inherently dramatic. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, they're very like, I want them to be very funny. The tone, I would say I, I probably in speaking to people you know, referenced, I definitely referenced Judd movies. I definitely referenced Paul Feig movies, Bridesmaids. Um, And then I think that I was like, but also I wanted to have this eternal sunshine element to Mm. it. And, you know, I find that I have a hard time and I am always just pushing to be like, let me just get it on the page Mm -hmm. for you because I don't know, because if I say I want to make half a Judd Apatow comedy, half (laughs) eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. You're going to be like, here's the door. Um, That's not a thing. Uh, But that's truly like that in my brain, I was like, no, these two things could go together. Mm -hmm. You just have to thread it correctly. Um,
1: and trust me, I know how to do that, but who's going to trust you to do that? Exactly.
0: And no, everyone's, you know, so for me, I mean, I spec a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. for that specific reason, because it's so much, I find that, you know, in trying to talk about and execute tricky tones, it's always just easier to kind of get on the page. Cause sometimes also, sometimes I am wrong and I get in and I get in, you know, final draft and I'm (laughs) like, Oh Oh, oops. <laughs> right.
1: This doesn't work at all. Yeah, this is um, not good. But there is, uh, there's something to that. And I think it's a good lesson for for new writers, especially that like, we're living in a golden age of tone. Yes. Uh, like the shows you love, you love in large part because they are a strange tone that only that writer can write, uh, only that creator can create. And that's a hard thing to describe in a room, right? Um, so, Yeah. Write your stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, write your stuff. And I say this to people, uh, to writers all the time. No one has to see it. Yeah. I think people are so scared. They're like, "What if it's bad?" I'm like, S- "Then don't show anyone." <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. But you. But it might be great. Yeah. Uh, so I yeah I r- just write, just get it out there. And if you have something that's weird and it's hard to pitch, see, write it just to see. Also see if it's your right and yeah. if it does work yeah. or doesn't work. And um, Now's the time when people yeah. are going
1: to read that stuff and and understand that weird tones can be on TV. A hundred percent. What when you had this early meeting at FICO? What had you written down anything for this? No, Had you done a version. No, I oh, had nothing. No, I
0: had really had nothing. And we talked about it. And I, what I said to Dan was like, I what I need, and what you know, Paul would be the end all be all in terms of the person that I would want help with executing this. Is I need to, for lack of a better word, studioize it. Like I need Mm -hmm. to find that engine that makes it the bigger comedy because I did want it to be a bigger comedy. I wanted it to have that side of it. And that's when, like it was originally like kind of endless night, all a night. And Dan was like, no, it should be day and night. Hmm. You know, and we talked through these things. And that's when we found the engine of they're trying to get to a a music show. Mm -hmm. And in that is where I, the original version of the script and this is the original thing that I wrote, was them, and I will say I wrote this before they reunited, so I predicted this, <laughs> um, I, or not reunited, because they never broke up, but before they came back, they Sorry. were trying to get to an LCD sound system show, <laughs> and it was based on when I got broken up with in my early 20s, I uh, the the kind of breakup that was the catalyst in terms of my brain kind of going off and thinking about Making this movie, my two best friends, who are both named Jen, we are the Jens. Oh, you are
1: a nightmare. Yeah, it's truly horrible. It's <laughs> hilarious. Um, we,
0: yeah, I mean, I don't, I, it's, I don't know what to say. The Jens. Uh, sure. They, we had like a night out together, but we saw music together and that was, you know, a huge part of like, mm-hmm. you know, that part of my life and so I kind of mirrored it after us trying to get into different shows that we had been to sure. and, you know, that adventure and and the fun of that, especially being in New York and being young and like feeling the city. And so that's how that kind of mm-hmm. became the missing piece of this film. And then I went off and wrote the first like 25 pages, hmm. which if you read that first 25 pages, it's so much of it is In that movie. Really? In the fucking movie. That's so neat. Which is, I went back and read it after we were, after we locked picture, I went back. After we finished shooting, I went back and kind of read it. And then after we locked picture, I went back and read it. And it's crazy. It's crazy how much dialogue, repurposed in different ways and like Mm -hmm. in different scenes, but like how much of the dialogue is in the final cut of
1: the movie. Oh, that's really neat. It's really cool. I mean, it seems like this is a story you'd been living with for, you know, Ten years. Ten years. Um, so all that stuff was sort of churning in those years, and and knowing the characters, knowing you wanted it to be this kind of a comedy uh, with this kind of uh, a exploration of memory and relationship. It seems like you were ready to put it together. So it's no surprise that so much of it was fully formed from the beginning. Um, I'm curious about the stuff that was not, that was discovered when you went to the page. And did you know from the beginning that you would direct it? No,
0: no, I had no idea. You hadn't directed anything, right? No, I was making Sweet Vicious at the time. And so, and being a showrunner in television is a lot like being a director in film. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as I was making that, I kind of realized that I am not someone who was going to be able to give this to someone else to realize. And that it's so, I mean, there are things that I write where I'm like, yeah, find a director, take it. Right. This was so personal to mm-hmm. me. There was just no way that I wasn't going to be the person that like picked every poster on Jenny's wall. Mm-hmm. I just, there I would have fully had a full mental and physical breakdown. Um, like it would have been like that. Tracy Jordan, I am a Jedi. Um, Scene <laughs> in the pilot of Thirty Rock, that would have been me in the streets of New York if someone else was directing this movie. Um, uh, so so <laughs> I don't remember the question. So well, I got yeah, lost. In I a, am a Jedi. As you
1: sat down to write the script and to write the, the draft, yes. like what did you figure out?
0: I'm trying to go back to it.
1: And it was a while ago.
0: Yeah, it was a while ago. We, I wrote it in 20. 16? 20- wow. 2016, I would say. It was a re- I will say, I mean, yes, it was in my brain for a really long time, but it was like very fast in terms of like how, mm-hmm. like from like final, like turning in like a first final draft to them and the movie being out was very hmm. truncated. Um, but.
1: Like was there, were there parts of the story that you always thought would be in there that weren't? Were there parts of the story that where the characters surprised you uh, in behaving not the way you and your friends would? Like, where, did they become characters?
0: Yeah, they became characters, but I always, like, it was interesting because they were never... There, there's no one person... I mean, Aaron Kennedy is literally named after my best friend Aaron Kennedy. So it's like, <laughs> there are things that, like, very, like, directly mirror my life. There are things about the characters that are, that are very much you know the people that they are you know inspired by but that being said they're they're amalgamations of of all different people so they really did become their own like i heard them in my head but i didn't hear like my friend talking and i like funneled that mm-hmm. into the script i like built these people and like just knew these people yeah. so well um and i would say the thing that kind of w- was interesting to me as i was writing is is how well I knew them. And so any situation, you know, getting notes and going through the process and, like, finding the script, I never felt lost in mm-hmm. terms of, like, how would each of these characters navigate the scene? What would they say? I just, I, I felt so connected to all three of them mm-hmm. in a way that was, I, I, you know, the only other time I felt that connected was with Jules and Ophelia. Hmm. I mean, granted, I, like, I've written other things. These are those are the only two things that have like been out right, there. But you, but like you've been writing, I've, yeah, for a long I've been time. writing and written and written a bunch. But it's of them. true.
1: I think that's a rare thing. I, I mean, I feel like I've been at this a long time, and it's it's only in this most recent thing that I've written that I'm like that I've had that feeling. Yeah, um, and it makes all the difference. Right, a hundred
0: percent. And once you have it, when you do other things and you don't have it,
1: <laughs> you're like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Um, a, what if it never comes back? Yeah. And B, who wants this yeah. that I'm not in?
0: Yeah, I was talking to um, Aline Brosh McKenna mm-hmm. and I was having an issue on a script and she's very, she was very very lovely and like talked me through it. And I was like, I think this is bad and I've made this movie bad. <laughs> I was like, I am, I feel like I'm Aww. in a maze. I don't know what I'm doing. And she said that sometimes writing is like you're walking through a house and it's just like you ha- just doors. It's like a door and it opens to another door and it opens to another door and it opens to another door and then you're outside and the movie's done. And it's just like, you just like, move through it like, and you just flow through it and that was the process of writing great. it was truly like each door opened to the next door and I understood you know for me I I took out all the flashbacks and like put them in a linear kind mm-hmm. of in his in own linear final draft file and just made sure that all that made sense and tracked mm-hmm. I would say smart. finding Nate and Jenny and like what you need versus what was coloring in a story but you didn't necessarily need it mm-hmm. uh, was the most interesting/ hardest part of writing the movie because the girls was like you know you know what that story is and there were iterations where you know I tried to write bigger set pieces I'm doing air quotes set pieces
1: um <laughs> as, as like a comedy should have yes right?
0: exactly like there was a there was an iteration where like you instead of them going to Blair's office, and her planning a brunch, they actually crash like sure. a tastemaker influencer brunch. And I would say writing that stuff was when I felt the most lost. And I couldn't. I knew how they would act, but I was just right. like, this just doesn't feel like the movie. Yeah, it's a smaller movie um, with some kind of engine.
1: And that has to be. I mean, I don't know if you showed those drafts to people. I assume you did, but it has. It has to be these smaller moments that people were responding to.
0: Yeah, I think it was it's trial and error. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, we were all like, maybe we need it. Maybe we want this. But I will say, you know, what did come out of the set piece thing is the Jabuki Young-White scene.
1: Oh, my God. So
0: the two scenes that I wrote (laughs) trying to make it feel a little bit weirder and bigger and more, you know, have like a bigger comedic presence was this brunch scene that was fucking bad um so bad and then the jibuki scene and i was just like you know they go to get these tickets from this weird kid the the whiteboard in fico which i'm pretty sure they can't erase so it's just like it's just been up there forever has just all my weird pitches like there was one pitch on the board that says blair puts lotion on his bug bites <laughs> what yeah like i really i really wanted the scene to be and the scene is i think if you if i had left every joke both scripted and and stuff that he improvised <laughs> oh in i think the script the scene would like came out to be like ten, over 10 minutes long oh, of course it would have eaten the movie <laughs> um and i wish I, I you know every time i had to cut something out of that scene it like took a part of my soul out yeah. but yeah that scene was something that you know wasn't originally I'm trying to think of like what was even in there. I maybe they just got the tickets I, or maybe she just went to Matt to get the tickets. I don't I, funny. to completely remember. Yeah. I actually now want to go back and see like what the draft was before the Jabuki scene was in there. But yeah, that yeah. was a scene. And you have we, to take a
1: picture of the board. Yes. So yes, I have a picture it. of the board. Oh, I have a picture of the board. Um but and that scene like it you can see where in the hands of a different writer, a different director That's a great example of it could be a very sort of set piecey, big Hollywood comedy scene, but it plays so human and he's a character that we haven't seen before. Um, And I'm sure so much of that is what he brings to it, but so much of that is in the writing, too. Yeah, I
0: think it was. I think it's a. I think it was a very a beautiful marriage because Jabuki mm-hmm. is so funny. It's crazy. That was the second day of shooting. Oh my god. Um, I was. That was still when I was like the first two days of shooting. I I was mildly panicking.
1: Yeah, so I was gonna ask. That's the second day of shooting. You have this incredible cast, and we're gonna jump around uh, a lot because I, I have other things to ask about that. But. You're faced with this guy who, like, he seems like he can make anything funny um, and is inhabiting this character or the characters inhabiting him. And how do you, as a new director, direct the scene? How do you make sure, one, you're getting what you want, two, you're letting him do what he does, the reason you hired him, um, but also, like, getting the good stuff, right?
0: Yeah. So... (sighs) <sighs> what a, it was a harrowing experience. Um, no. it. The thing that I lucked out on is that the four people in that scene were all incredible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jabuki, especially, to his credit, it was one of the first, I think, features he's ever done. <laughs> um, and he was able to remember and stay with his ad-libs and recreate. And, you know, we were able to make sure that we got stuff on his coverage and on other coverage. That being said, the thing that was daunting is it was a very, it was a heavy comedic scene with, with ad-libbing, with, you know, improv and a lot of people, a lot of people, a (laughs) lot of coverage, yeah uh, a lot of coverage in a, in a space with, floor-to-ceiling windows so like daylight was yeah. was crazy and also god bless our prop person the hoverboard died and we didn't have a charger or an extra one so we like had to shut down production in the for like and for a good amount of time in the middle of the day because we didn't because the hoverboard died and i was like you know there was a world where we could have not done it with the hoverboard he could have stepped off the hoverboard but but i was like that's not gonna happen no it
1: plays so funny so
0: funny so i was like no we need the (laughs) hoverboard so it you know we should like so to everyone's credit like we shut down and like you know there were no trailers on this movie it was a smaller movie so they're all like crammed into a dressing room together and just god bless it was just i just was panicked i was like oh god (laughs) this is horrible um And then, you know, just trying to get all the coverage and everything. There was a monologue in that scene that ended up getting cut where Gina, like, goes in. He turns on SoundCloud rap and she, like, scoffs. And it's, like, a whole uh, monologue about... Music and she talks about and it just kind of like gets to the heart of like who she is and, and what she loves and all of that. And you get to kind of like see her wax poetic about, you know, Nas first SoundCloud rap and, you know, classic verse, you know, what's kind of like being croaked out today. Um I don't know if you can feel my feelings about it. Um, No, just kidding. God bless SoundCloud rap. Um uh so there was like, there were like other elements to the scene as well. Not just the improv, not just right. the, con- so it was like, it was, a lo- it was, a, it was heavy. Um And so for me, it was a lot of, I-, I was scared that being too much of a director and giving and being too prescriptive and like hmm. being on top of things would make the actors feel like I didn't trust them. Mm-hmm. And I went to dinner with Brittany Snow that weekend And I was like, I feel like I'm bad at this. And she's like, no, you're not bad at this. She's (laughs) like, but we want you to tell us what you want. Hmm. And the minute she said that, it locked in. And I was like, oh, great. Like I can do that.
1: Yeah.
0: I just didn't, you know, it's just the push pill of like not wanting to over direct and not wanting to feel like, you know, line readings and all like you not, you know, finding the middle ground between those. So like that was my, I feel like, biggest struggle at the beginning was finding the uh, the the right place to sit in terms of giving direction and like, but wanting them to feel like there was a safe place for them mm-hmm. to play and like get weird because I didn't want to lose the weirdness because so much of the weirdness that came out in the Jabuki scene was because I was like, didn't really right. tell them what to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, there's something to, and I was thinking about this a lot in rewatching the movie, hiring the best people and trusting them to do what they do, but having... A clear vision for the thing you're making. Yes. Right. And in that way, it is very much like show running. But being faced with actually doing it can be much more difficult.
0: Yeah. And that's true across the board. Like, I find that, you know, you think of you think of director and it's like that doesn't mean you have to do everyone's job. That means you have to be able to dictate what you want to people and then trust them to do their job and to deliver something. And so, you know, that was also a huge learning thing for me where I was you know I went into this I didn't like I wasn't I didn't know camera stuff and mm-hmm. lenses and I I truly like I have no film school background I'm a, very much a writer so I came in it from character and I understand performance and all of that and I was very nervous that I was going to be looked at as someone that didn't know what she was doing yeah. and then I realized I was like oh I just have to like if I if I understand what's in my brain and I can get that out of my mouth yeah, <laughs> that's what that's what directing is.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it feels like a natural extension of writing, especially for someone like you, right? Yeah. In, in writing a script, we're trying to transcribe that thing in our brain. And there are so many things happening at once um, that, that that's what makes it hard.
0: Yeah. You're creating a world in your head and you're putting it on a page, but like you're create like you see the world. Absolutely. It's like there is, if you close your eyes, you know what the dresser in her room looks like and you yeah. know what... The costumes look like, and you have an idea of all of those things just inherently when you're writing something because that is what it is.
1: Yeah. Um, I want to go back and talk about these characters a little bit. Um, I remember I, I had this conversation with Mike Shore when the Good Place started and asking him about naming the all powerful, godlike being uh, on the show, Michael, which is his name. Jen. Your lead character is named Jenny. Yeah. Uh, talk about that. I'm not creative at names. <laughs> <ends. laughs> like
0: it's not. I'm just bad at. I'm truly the. Be- I have two of the characters are named. One of them is directly named <laughs> right. after my best friend. Jenny is me.
1: <laughs> but was there? I mean, as you talked about with Aaron. This character became a character. Yes. Um, Are you able to, were you able early on to separate that? And you're like, she's a flawed character. You know, a lot of writers would be tempted to make her the uh, perfect hero.
0: (laughs) I have a funny story about that. So I, so honestly, Jenny on the, Jenny on the page, I was, Gina made her her own thing. And I do think we are very separate um in a great way. Mm-hmm. And as Gina came in, Jenny evolved and and became a kind of mi- this like, you know, me but plus she really truly became a character. Yeah. I would say Jenny of all the characters was the most that I was just like this is me. I thought she was pretty cool <laughs> and um like handled things You know, in a like a fun, unexpected way. And I sat down with an actress. um, And she was like, she's like, I really like how, you know, like how flawed and annoying she is. And I was like, (laughs) annoying. She said, I think she said annoying or brat. She said something where I was like, I had never thought of her that way. Because I was like, oh, and I (laughs) I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 just you know like but she she was getting at like she liked like kind, yeah. kind of like she dealt with things like in an unlikable way in certain aspects but, like i can be fucking unlikable like i that is not and that is not an adjective that scares me but just the way that she said it so like funny. i truly like i thought that i painted her in like this a really beautiful white <laughs> right. and like she was like this like you know i thought people were gonna be like she should be more flawed and i was, <laughs> and people are like no like she's like screaming at someone in the street like she she yeah. does suck sometimes and i'm like no that makes she's re- she's great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's amazing.
0: Yeah, so i i really thought i was like writing the like too perfect of a hero situation and and i apparently did not do that.
1: <laughs> um it seems like i mean this cast is incredible and it feels to me like people get invested um in a script that is True in a script that is emotionally honest and clearly has care behind it. Um, can you tell us about your conversations with Gina? Was she one of the first ones on board? The first one. Okay. Um, what were the early conversations like?
0: So I watched Jane and I, the way that Gina is able to move through comedy into drama with it all feeling grounded and emotional and never forced and never you know like she's kind of tap dancing around on the dialogue and and you know chewing scenery she just lives and Mm -hmm. it feels so natural and so organic i was dying for her to be in this um and she also has incredible comedic timing and is able to speak fast in a way, but also, you know, deliver every joke and hit all the right beats mm-hmm. in a sentence, which my writing is very much that way, where I would write something and I knew that certain words had to be hit in a certain way or the joke wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. And I just, in watching the way that she read uh, and performed Jenny's dialogue, Jenny Snyder-Ehrman's dialogue, which Mm -hmm. is very – it has a similar cadence to mine. I was like, there's just no one that's going to get this inherently like Gina. We sat down. She read the script. She liked it. I like (sighs) – I was like, thank God. We sat down, and it was an immediate love fest, and she's so wonderful, and she's so warm, and she's so incredible, and everything you want her to be. It was one of those meetings where she left, and in my head I was like – she can't just be like that. Like she's she that had to have been like put right. on. She's
1: turning it on. For yeah. Her, for those. And it's That's not. So she funny. just
0: is like that. I truly like the cynical Jew in me was like, <laughs> that was all a lie. Um, we'll see if she actually like, you know, if her lawyer actually gets in touch and, you know, right. this, that and the other. And it was all real because she and she. You know, that's nothing against Gina. That's not to say that Gina seemed disingenuous. It's me well, and, of course. and my brokenness. Um,
1: <laughs> and you've been in this business for a while. Uh, yeah. We know and how like, people can be.
0: <laughs> exactly. Because she was so wonderful mm. that I was like, what's the fucking trick here? <laughs> um And <laughs> truly, I was just like, where are the hidden cameras? Um and she was really thoughtful in the way that she talked about the character and how excited she would be to, you know, front this movie and what that would mean to her as a Latinx woman, you mm-hmm. know, being the lead of of a, of a movie like this that, you know, I think even five years ago would have been three white girls. Absolutely. For sure. Um, and so, you know, all of those things mixed together, her talent, her, you know, her love of the script all of it you know and us vibing in such an insane way led to you know months of a deal-making process and then we got into a place where it felt like maybe she wasn't going to be able to do the movie and I wasn't sure why and I was like I don't know if it's money I don't know if it's this I don't know what it is and so I just reached out to her and I was like can I come to your house Or can we like have coffee and just talk this through like no middlemen? And we were able to sit down at a table. And this is like, I I will think about this for the rest of my career. And I will never not do this ever again. We were able to sit down and she was able to. And I said, what do you need? I was like, is it a problem with the script? Do you not like the script anymore? And she said, no, I love the script. So I was like, "Okay, Hmm. what do you need? And she was able to tell me what she needed. And I was able to go back and fight for that. And now she's in the movie. Right. And that was truly one of the most profound, like, beautiful experiences of my career.
1: And, and do you think there's a lesson here? Do you think this is replicable? This is something I think about a lot in, in, like, taking out a thing that's personal to me where I want the people who are invested, I want it to work out, right? And you want them to stay invested. And, and you know they're the best person for it. Can we have those conversations? <laughs> Can we cut out the people who are like trying, who are fighting to get the best deal, whatever that means to them?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's case by case. So I yeah. don't know that there's a blanket answer. That being said, I find in this, just me in this industry, we take out the people and it's like, everyone becomes like a deal and a number sign into this and a that. Yeah. And, you know, it's a phone call and what, And we forget that we're actually just like people trying to, you know connect with each other and work together and so anytime I can and I and I and I feel this across the board not just in you know finding an actor to be in your thing or finding a director or doing that stuff in those creative collaborations but even let's say you're up for something uh and someone else gets it I always try to if it's especially if it's like you're going back in and you're pitching Mm -hmm. and you're pitching and you're pitching you know there's this other person you know that like you both worked so hard on this I always try and email that other person and say like congrats that's amazing I can't wait to watch the thing that you make because I feel like you know just remind just like bringing the humanity back into this industry anytime you can It'll just keep you sane, in my opinion. Absolutely.
1: this It's so hard as it is, right? Like, why make it harder?
0: Yeah, exactly. In fact, you can
1: make it easier. You can make it easier. People.
0: Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes there, I'm sure there are people that, I, you, listen, it could have totally blown up in my face that I was like, let's sure. get coffee. Like, I could have had agents calling me. She could have been really weirded out. Like, it right. could have totally, like, so I don't, like, it, I don't think that's true of every person right. and of every actor and of every deal and of everything. You read, said, yeah, you, you read the situation you you read the room yeah you read the room you read the situation but also you know i think it's it's less about hey i need you in this thing cuz my thing doesn't go if you're not in this thing and like right you're a person and i'm a person and i want to work with you and i want to know you and i think you're amazing yeah. and coming at it from there totally and I think if the person is shitty about that, then like you're probably just from like <laughs> exactly. yikes.
1: Yeah, you don't you don't um, want that anyway.
0: Yikes! Um, I,
1: I have a bunch more things to ask you before we run out of time. Um, one of the other comments my wife made in watching the film is uh, about Nate, and she said, "I have not seen a a black guy on in a movie like the black guys I know." Uh, she said, like, he's a goofball. He's emotionally vulnerable. Um, he He's like, he's not the, the black boyfriend that we've seen before. Um, talk to me a little bit about that character who could very easily have been a villain.
0: From Jump Street, I was like, Nate is not a villain. That is not what this story is. It is not about, they are both... If anything, Jenny perceives herself as the villain and romanticizes him the entire movie because all the all the flashbacks are told through the way that she remembers mm-hmm. things, um, which I try to do subtly, in, but I hope people know that, like, they're not objective flashbacks. They mm-hmm. are memories. Um, and when I talk about them, I try and say memories instead of flashbacks because I think that, you know, one is subjective. Mm-hmm. I am... I think that there's a thing about vilifying men especially in feminist work. And I just don't I don't know I mean I've had shitty boyfriends. I've had issues, you know, some of those issues are in the movie. That being said, they weren't monsters. Right. They were all just flawed people. Right. And it's about mining the flaws in us as humans and not kind of finding a villain for a story. Um, And so it was very important to me that Nate always felt like he was that, like, if anything, his damage was his aimlessness Mm -hmm. and her drive and him not being able to, you know, kind of take or, you know, handle or be okay with like her ambition anymore. And that that was kind of what was like, that was the weight tied to their relationship, but also like, that's so sad that like the thing tied to their relationship and that weight is her ambition. Yeah. Um, which I think rings uh, true for a lot of women, especially. Sure. Um, and so, you know, for me building Nate, I really wanted to make sure that he felt like, the dudes that I know and the men that I've been in mm-hmm. relationships with and the men that my friends have been in relationships with and my you know male friends and it wasn't necessarily like it, it for all of the characters while I while I didn't well it wasn't like I'm not going to think about race because like you can't do that right. if you you know you have to consider you know, the different ways in which different races move through the world and, mm-hmm. and interact and all of that stuff. And I that was a consideration. And it wasn't like I, you know, repurposed characters written as white people and just put people of right. color in the roles, because I I don't agree with that. There was thought there. There was nothing about Nate that felt like he was tied to any one race as much as it was, you know, who is he as a person? You know, what what is the humanity there? And, you know, there were no instances and there are no places in the script where his race needed to be a part of his character. He just is a black man. Right. Other than living in it. Yeah. Like he is a black man. Like he, you know, and I don't, that's not to say that I don't think that there, there could have been scenes and there are Mm -hmm. places in which that would be something to, you know, talk about and something that I would have
1: to address and acknowledge but it seems like in a similar way to you know Gina playing Jenny it's races intrinsic to their character yeah. it's about like you say how they move through the world but the movie's not about that
0: exactly yeah. and i and i really didn't i didn't want, like i specifically you know that being said like it was. I was very specific in not wanting to cast – I didn't want to cast Lakeith as a black man and a white woman because right. I don't – I think there are a lot of films out there that have a a, a man of color, but they're dating a white woman. And I mm-hmm. didn't want to do that because I think that, that that just wasn't the movie that I wanted to make. And, you know, I've read and I, I really try and, you know – know how women feel about the things that are being made and the art that they're watching and I've read a lot of things where, you know, women of color feel like that's shitty and they mm-hmm. don't like watching that and so I didn't want to do that. DeWanda and her love interest, mm-hmm. I wanted that to be two black women. I wanted that to be a love story about two black women and I didn't want it to say, I didn't want to have to say like, this is a love story about two black women. I just wanted it to exist. Yeah.
1: Um, and I think that's part of what's great about everything in the movie is is. It just exists. Right. Like it It feels like we're and this is partly getting back to the first thing I mentioned where it sort of starts at the right point and ends at the right point is we're getting a glimpse of a world that's happening uh, yeah. where people act like people. <laughs>
0: yeah. It should feel like you it, it, like I just wanted this to feel like New York and to yeah. feel like my friends and to feel like my 20s and to just feel like there was like a slice of an experience that I understand And to throw these characters in it and to kind of get, you know, a taste of like the time. I I wanted to both create a time capsule of like kind of the millennial (laughs) experience and also make something that felt nostalgic and timeless and, you know, that it could live in any time and that it does have that kind of Nora Ephron-esque feel where it's just a story about people.
1: Yeah, I'm going to pay you a compliment and I want you to enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> but it-, it uh, You know
0: me so well that like, I immediately shut down and started yeah. sweating the minute you said I'm going to pay you a compliment. <laughs> I want you to take
1: this. Um, more than Nora Ephron, uh, someone great and, and a lot of Sweet Vicious too, the way that the characters interact with each other reminds me of James L. Brooks. Uh, it's about you know people bumping into each other Right. It's about personalities uh, in conflict and in concert uh, and how funny that can be. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) uh, Before we go, I want to ask you about opening the movie, uh, the very beginning of the movie uh, with the Michelle Bouteau scene. And that's an exposition scene. Yeah. It does not feel like one. Exposition can be so hard. Um, What's the trick of that scene?
0: Uh, That scene's always been in the movie. So mm-hmm. that's like from the very beginning, I knew that I wanted that scene. I I think I don't know that there's a trick to the scene because it truly is an exposition scene. It's actually we that was the the and I it's not a fight. I'm, I say fight, but it's like the mm-hmm. the the most conflict I had with Netflix in terms of the notes process was about the first five minutes of the movie. Interesting. They wanted, um, and this will kind of come back to the trick of the scene. Mm-hmm. They wanted the they were worried that it was confusing. Mm -hmm. To go from a flashback that you don't know is a flashback or or a memory that you don't know is a memory into the train back into kind of like that montage of the social media. And so they Mm -hmm. had me do a version where and it worked it 100 percent worked where you go from the picture being taken in the bar through the social media montage and then dumps you out after I can't believe we just broke up her sitting linear. Right. This just You happened. can
1: understand where that note comes from. You can understand yes. wanting to, it to be that way.
0: The issue I had with it was that the tone of the movie is snap picture, fuck love. <laughs> you're not watching this movie. You're watching Jean and Michelle Buteau. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the movie you're watching. Interesting. And so for me, while you still get there and you still get to the scene, it's still funny the tone of the the whole crux of the tone of the movie. And I think the trick of that scene and why I love it is not because it's just exposition. It is literally giving you the, like if you just watch those two scenes back to back, that's the whole movie. Mm -hmm. That's I'm just, I'm giving you, I'm like, this is the ride that you're about to go on. Are you in for this weird thing?
1: It's the mission statement. Yes.
0: And, and it's those two scenes kind of together that, that form the mission statement. Um, And I think, for me, the the thing that I like about it and the thing that feels also kind of, you know, intrinsic to the tone and, and just like the movie I wanted to create is it there's just something so weird and New Yorkie about her sitting on the subway talking <laughs> basically like to herself. And then this woman being like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Right. And then her taking that as like an invitation to tell her how bad her night was. So, yes, it's exposition, but it came. It's it's. Exposition from a place of character and from a place of tone and like being able to kind of weave all those things together. And I think that that's when exposition doesn't feel like exposition. Yeah. I will say none of that is scripted. What? The exposition is scripted. Right. From that point on, it is completely improvised. Hilarious. The original scene, Michelle is rude. (laughs) And I. How funny. On the day was like, you know what? Be nice to her. I was like, you start rude. I was like, but let's like, but like get into it and kind of like listen to her and want to help her. Because that's actually a way more like the mission statement in terms of like, I was Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to make this feminist movie and like start it with this woman being like, shut the fuck up, bitch. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But also it felt, you know, both, you know, the movie, but also way more correct in terms of like how a woman on the subway would, especially like, you know, that like Michelle, it just felt right. Yeah. And I really looked at the the scene. I looked at the characters and I was like, this woman would fully want to talk to her. <laughs> she would great. totally get in it. And then the minute she was done, she'd be like, actually, I'm, I'm out. We have so much. We have so much good stuff. Gina did an actual spit take at one point. <laughs> Amazing. Um, because Michelle asked her. I think Michelle asked her what his dick was like. <laughs> And Gina just spits, Amazing. <laughs> just fully
1: spits. It's so good. I, is there like Netflix is so weird. There's no way for us to see deleted scenes I don't, and outtakes and there's, stuff.
0: There's a Michelle outtakes thing that they posted because okay, I bullied them into doing that. Good. Um. Yeah. So that that. Yeah. There's so many. There's so many good uh, pieces in that. My, my favorite joke that we didn't get to keep in the movie is Gina talks about you know, how beautiful he is. And she's like, beautiful black man. And Michelle goes, he's black. Why didn't you lead with that? And Gina says, like, starts to, like, say something. And Michelle interrupts her and goes, so he's single? (laughs) And it's (laughs) so so funny.
1: (laughs) So good. Um, Let me ask you this. Coming off of a film like this, which people people really loved, Uh, the reviews were great, Um, but even more so, like, Social media loved it. Taylor Swift loved it.
0: <laughs> Taylor Swift Do you want to talk about it. that for a second,
1: for people who don't know? <laughs> I
0: mean, <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> it's so it's so bizarre. It's so.
1: It's like this made me cry when it, I saw this.
0: I had so I'll t- I'll be able to tell. She she was able to tell a story on Elvis Duran about loving the movie and then and then me emailing her and she had already written a song inspired by the movie because she it just like it you know cut her and inspired her and sat with her, um, but. She, So I was in London and I was literally there to see Fleabag. I flew to London to see (laughs) Fleabag. So I'm just in a park waiting for like, I had time to kill before the show. And I open Twitter and I see someone is like, at Jen Caton, have you seen this? And I click on this link. And Taylor Swift is so eloquently pitching the movie, basically (laughs) like fully understood everything I wanted to do with it. And we had emailed – after she said that she liked the movie on mm-hmm. Ellen, I emailed her and I said, this is crazy for a lot of reasons. Like, number one, it feels like the likelihood of this is, like, there's a better chance I could get hit by a bus than, like, this, than you saying you liked my movie on the <laughs> Ellen DeGeneres show. Um, but I was like, when I – the the guy that broke up with me, one of the breakups that is, like, you know, very much inspired the movie – But the guy that broke up with me because I was moving back to Los Angeles to pursue writing and to really, you know, give it one last go. It happened around when 1989 came out and I listened to 1989 and that really got me through. And there's a song called Clean and I listened to it a lot. And I sent her that email. She sent me a really lovely email back. And I didn't I mean, I didn't know this at the time. She had already written a song inspired by the movie. So there was like this crazy meta thing happening. Then cut to London months later. Uh, well, actually, Lover comes out and my friend Jared sees a tweet, uh, sends it to me that Taylor has a song on her album inspired by someone great. And I was like, that's there's no way there's no way there's no way. Um, and then cut to again, her talking about for like five minutes. Yeah. The movie and what it meant to her and what it was. And she, just, she got everything about it. Um I have a I'm alone in a park. I have a full body panic attack to the point where I have stress hives. I'm walking around this park. Like people thought I, I looked like I had like railed cocaine and was just like wandering around this park. I truly oh like it looked truly insane. I'm like shaking. I'm having like a full visceral reaction that like Taylor Swift said my name out loud. Um and it, it, it truly I don't it's one of those things where it's like I made a movie and that's crazy and it's crazy to turn last night before I did this I I turned the movie on and just kind of sat in my bedroom and I was like this is crazy that there's this thing and I watch it now and I feel removed from it. And I'm like, but I did like I directed this, but it doesn't even feel like that anymore. Hmm. It felt like that even in the process of, you know, screening it and doing all of that stuff. I felt so disconnected to a point where like I was watching it and I know it's like, I know I, to go from sitting at a computer typing a thing to getting a green light, to being on set, to editing, to having it out there and just watching it. Hmm. I was like, I don't know what this is. I don't know who made this. I like it, but it doesn't feel like I don't, I don't, I feel so disconnected while it be feeling like it is like a, an extension of my entire being. Yeah. Um, but the Taylor Swift thing, she is, she is uh, like Gina. One of those people where are like, there's no way <laughs> you're, you're just this great. And she is, she sent me emails that are so well written it makes me not want to be a writer anymore <laughs> like i sent her emails oh where i thought i was like be- like they were like right. cool and like really well written <laughs> and then she would like just like it was just like hold my beer and she was just like sent like it's crazy so i don't- that was like a really ineloquent way of saying that like i'm still not over the taylor swift thing and i don't think i'll ever be over no, it
1: Nor should you but yeah. there's something so exciting about you put something out into the world, something that you really put yourself into and people respond. And this is like the huge metaphor version of that. But, you know, it's also, you know, 15 year olds getting to watch this at home on Netflix and, and being moved by it. And like, I see those tweets too. And it's my
0: favorite thing. I,
1: it's really amazing.
0: I am a, a, Twitter troll. And I just like literally lurk in the someone great hat. Like, I'll just search someone great and just like read everyone talking about crying. And I just like, yeah, it brings me so much joy. Yeah, I love it.
1: It's really amazing. I love
0: all of your pain. Does it
1: does it put pressure on the next thing? To, <laughs> yeah, of course it does. Yeah.
0: I had a mental breakdown in my kitchen. I called Amanda Lasher, who's my showrunner on Sweet mm-hmm. Vicious, before I went to do someone great. And I was hysterically crying in my kitchen. And I said, what if it's bad? What if it's bad? I can't sustain this. Everyone loves Sweet Vicious. People love it. I don't know how to do it again. What if it's bad? What if I, like, what if I can't, do, like, people, and at that time, it was like, I had sold another show and, like, I was making money and there was a lot of money attached to things that I was writing and all of that stuff. And I was just like, what if I can't, I, I can't keep doing it? Hmm. People think that they're always going to get the thing that is, you know, this, like, the you know whatever cultural thing yeah. you know hit slash critical darling whatever and so when someone great did well i doubled down on the feeling <laughs> of dread
1: <laughs> it's really healthy
0: um and i think i i can say this and you can just cut it out but if it's okay. december um i'm sure the blumhouse movie will have been announced All by right. then um but i'm Yeah, like, and it's, and so, you know, moving into a different genre and taking on a horror movie, which is what I'm doing Mm -hmm. next for Blumhouse called Get Home Safe. You know, it's kind of this intersection between someone great and Sweet Vicious, because it is about a woman on Halloween, trying to get from Greenwich Village to Harlem with a dead cell phone, and all the predatory men in her way. So I'm sure I will have another mental breakdown (laughs) ahead of making that where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. How am I going to do this? What if everyone hates it? This is my last shot. <laughs> I'm going to get kicked out of the industry. I dream about moving to Wyoming a lot. Oh, absolutely. Like, right? Yeah. I'm like, maybe I'll get canceled yeah. and it'll all go away <laughs> and I'll just move
1: to a farm. Oh, good Lord. Is this how we want to end this? Uh, what have you watched lately that you love?
0: <laughs> maybe. No, I think we should end it on. Maybe I'll get canceled. <laughs>
1: We're sending Jen out to a farm. Uh. I swear that's what happened to her. We sent <laughs> yeah. her to a farm yeah, where like, she can play with it's other like directors. when the dog dies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, what have I watched recently? Have you
1: watched anything? Have you read anything? What have you listened to lately? I read
0: Gia Tolentino's Trick Mirror, um, which, I, which I love and is highly recommended. Okay. Um, I What have I watched recently that I loved? I feel like I just watched something that I loved. Um, I mean, I loved Dead to Me so so much. Um hmm. I feel like I just saw something. Oh, Hustlers mm-hmm. loved it. Um.
1: These are good answers.
0: Yeah. All right. I think those are it. That's great. I mean, in December,
1: it'll all be old, <laughs> and I'll see. What him. do you think you're going to see? That. You what know? do I think I'm going to see? No, oh my don't.
0: God! Here's you know what? Preemptively. I, I'm so excited for little women. I'm so excited for Uncut Gems. Like, I can tell you, that, like, I'm way more excited for things than I am, like, of things that I've recently watched. Like oh, Uncut yeah. Gems, Knives Out, Judy, which I'm seeing tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, fucking little women. It's just there's so many movies coming out this award season. Um, and I but I think the thing that I'm most excited Oh, you know what the best thing I've watched recently was Kiki Palmer saying sorry to this man. That's the best thing I've ever seen. All right. That is just a meme, um, but it is high art, (laughs) and I loved it.
1: Thanks for being here. (laughs) You're
0: welcome.
1: Uh, We'll see you next year for Get Home Safe.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. See you around Halloween. Yeah. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production.